We're going to continue our sermon series that we've been on now for a few weeks now, a couple months, entitled The Cloud of Witnesses. It's based out of the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, um, where we're told that since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, those who've gone before us, saints of old, who have trusted God in their lives and in their generation. Since we have this great cloud of witnesses cheering us on um, with, with, their, with examples to, to glean from, let, let us also run the race set before us, um, fixing our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of this great race of ours. The race, of course, is a metaphor we are following Jesus, and he is leading us home. That is the prize. So this week, we're going to be looking at the next in, in order. We've basically just been working through the list of the, the cloud, as it were. And this week, we're going to look at the life of Rahab. You guys know about Rahab? You don't know about Rahab. You're about to know. Hebrews 11.31. It says... By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. So in a minute, we're actually going to go to the book of Joshua and we're going to, we're going to look at the story in greater detail. But just to give a bit of context, um, last week we left the, the diagram the, the diagram on the chalkboard um, Last week, we looked at what God did at the Red Sea, how he parted the waters, how he delivered his people, Israel, from slavery and set them on this course for the promised land where they would cross over to the Jordan and finally uh, be in this um, fertile land that God had promised to prepare for them. About 40 years go by. There's like a whole story and a story and a story that happens um, but eventually they do cross the Jordan and cross the river. There's this giant citadel, sort of the capital city of the region called Jericho. Jericho was a massive city. It was a fortified city surrounded by giant wall. Um, it's an interesting archaeological study, but um, apparently there's some kind of an archaeological archaeological consensus that Jericho was one of, if not the oldest walled city to have ever existed in the ancient world, not just in that region, but in the world. Um, so that's Jericho, and that's the city God's people are facing now that they finally crossed over the Jordan River. And this is where the book of Joshua kicks off. Now Joshua, this... Don't even get me started. This book in itself is quite a, it's an interesting book. Um, it utilizes a very particular ancient genre, what's referred to as the conquest genre. It's a whole, it's, it's, a, it's a book full of stories of conquest, God leading his people to sack city after city after city and essentially dethrone the residing kingdom, which was, a, which was a very corrupt, a very broken, a vile kingdom, so that his kingdom, his good and just kingdom, 
of grace and mercy might be established and it's said. But that means a lot of, a lot of conquest, a lot of war. That might trigger you in all sorts of ways, but that's for another time. The book of Joshua. So they cross the river. They're facing this fortified city. And this is what happens. Uh, The commander, who is Joshua, he sends spies to check out the situation. And in Joshua chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, the words will be on the screen. It says this. Before the spies lay down for the night... She, that is Rahab, went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard of how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea and when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now then, please, swear to me, this is Rahab speaking, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and they go on your way. Now the men had said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother and your brothers and all your family into your house. We'll stop there. Rahab is a young Canaanite prostitute who was living in Jericho. The spies that Joshua sent to check out the situation in Jericho apparently went to this young woman, which kind of makes sense. I mean, they're undercover, so you have a couple of travelers showing up randomly in this big city, and so naturally they would go to the a local prostitute, um, which happens to be Rahab. Rahab somehow figures out who they actually are. And instead of turning them in, she hides them. Hides them up on the roof, apparently. And he says, look, I know who you are. We've heard the stories. I have heard the stories. The greatness of your God. And um, instead of turning you in, I'm going to hide you and help you escape. Some officials from the city had also uh, caught wind. And they were looking for the men. When they came to Rahab's house, as we just read, she, um, or as it says elsewhere, rather, she tells these officials who are looking for the spies, oh yeah, I saw a couple of men. They, they were here, um, but they left. And I don't know where they went. Quickly go, you, you might be able to catch them. 
of course, she had hid them. And that's the story of Rahab. Rahab, the prostitute who gave a friendly welcome to the spies. Um, What an odd example of faith. Am I right? Think about it. If you've been with us the last few weeks, who have we covered so far? All of these um, sort of epic heroes of faith. Um, Last week, of course, we, we looked at the people of God crossing the Red Sea. What we've discovered along the way that actually uh, the hero in all of these stories is, is really God himself. Um, Moses, of course, was one of the great heroes. Um, who, else, who else have we talked about? Uh, the parents of Moses. Who else? You guys remember? Joseph. That was an epic one. And there's Rahab. Um, the next Name listed in our our Hebrews sort of list of faith greats is Gideon. That'll be next week. Gideon's like 400 years later. It's really bizarre that Rahab is included in this list of greats. They don't even list Joshua which is really weird. Joshua, the great commander. Joshua and Caleb were a couple of the original spies. 40 years prior, Moses, when he was still alive, sent 12 spies to go check out the land. 10 came back with a bad report. And they said, look, this is a bad idea. Our God's good, but there's giants in that land. Only Joshua and Caleb, two out of the 12 spies, actually said no, but they're, yeah, they're, they're big. Like, this is going to be a battle for sure, but our God is great. Needless to say, uh, God's people, um, they side with the ten naysayers. And they say, yeah, th- this is a bad idea. I don't, I don't think we should do this. And so a whole generation end up dying in the wilderness while Joshua and Caleb wait. And they're not even listed But Rahab is. Rahab is listed. So what is it about her faith? We know very little about this young Canaanite prostitute. And yet she's exemplified as one of the great champions of faith. Rahab is even compared with Moses. In the next book, Hebrews, then James, we're told in James chapter 2 that this is what faith in action looks like. And then The author, James, holds up Abraham as an example of this is what faith in action looks like. And he says, just like Abraham, consider Rahab. Who is this lady that she's compared with Abraham himself? Not only as an example of faith, but what it looks like to actually put action to faith. Works, as it were. This is Rahab. Are you not fascinated? I mean, well, I, in studying this, I'm like, who is this lady? How have I overlooked her faith all these years? Why is she even included? Rahab. Rahab had heard the stories of God's power at work on behalf of a once enslaved people. She had heard the stories, and so she made a bold decision. Rahab's faith 
is a faith that was born out of a courageous choice. Think about it. Um, this young woman, I keep calling her a young Canaanite woman because she, the, the, she doesn't seem to have children. It mentions her parents several times. So it's reasonable to conclude that she was probably still a very young woman working as a prostitute in this Canaanite city. She had heard the stories, the rumors that there was a God in heaven who would set slaves free. What kind of God is that? To be sure, she knew of the gods. But what about this, this God? The God who fights for an enslaved people. Not a God who barters. Not a God who demands goods in exchange for service. Because they're slaves. What do they got? They got nothing. Rahab's heard the rumors. There's this God. This um, God of the Hebrews. I think they call him Yahweh. What do the Jews call him? Apparently he fights for slaves. He's not a God who demands service, but a God who comes down to serve. Man, what if it were true? What if, what if, the, what if this God actually does exist? And you can imagine her internal dialogue. Man, what if, what if I, instead of giving up the spies... What if I change kingdoms? What if I hide them? It would mean life as I know it would end. <laughs> because if I hide these spies, they're going to go back and they're going to give the reports and God's people and this God himself is going to tear down the walls which my house happens to like be in. So this is the courageous choice, Right? This is actually, um, this sets us up for what eventually we will refer to as the gospel. The story of God who fights for an enslaved people. Not that he might uh, enslave them, but that he might set them free. <laughs> and that our slavery in Christ ironic twist on it is actually a call to freedom because he's a God who doesn't demand goods for service he's a God who came down to serve us this is this is like no other God in the ancient world past or present I don't think so she's heard of this God and now she's beginning to do the math man if I if I don't give up these spies They'll go back and they'll give their leader the report that actually we're all terrified. And that if you just say the word, man, we're, we're just going to roll over. If I hide them, well, shoot, maybe, maybe I can prolong my current existence for, I don't know, maybe another 40 years, maybe another generation. Maybe if I give them up and the spies don't return, Maybe this current generation will be just like the previous one. They'll think to themselves, man, the spies didn't even come back. 
The giants must still be alive and, and then maybe that generation will also perish in the desert. But she says, no, I'm going to hide the spies. I'm going to hide the spies because I think if this God is who I've heard he is, it might actually be worth sacrificing all that I have, life as I've always known it, if perhaps, if perhaps I can be a part of this other kingdom, kingdom ruled by this good, merciful, strong, loving God. And so she makes a courageous choice. Are you guys with me so far? So that's, that's Rahab. That's it in a nutshell. We, we could just... We could just close it there. That's the faith of Rahab. The faith of a young Canaanite Canaanite prostitute who made a courageous choice, knowing full well that if she hid the spies and sent them home, they would come back and tear the wall down. Life as she knows it would end, but with the hope of being delivered, just like the slaves, to start a new life, one of freedom, one of love, not just merely existing, selling her body, selling her soul just to stay alive, but to experience life in the kingdom of the good king, the one who sets slaves free because he loves his people. What a courageous choice. What about the battle? This is, this is um, the other part of the story. When you're a preacher, you're always trying to like mine out. Like, what is the, there's like the obvious, but then there's something else. What, what, what might this mean for us today? Now, last time I checked, God's not asked any of us to like storm the city, raise down the citadel and, you know, tear down the walls. Um, says this in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. There is a battle that we're invited to be a part of. There are walls. There are strongholds. There are giants. There are spiritual realities that we're actually, as a part of God's good kingdom... Uh, invited to, to confront. We have different kinds of weapons, but weapons nonetheless to tear down strongholds, to set captives free. And that's our battle. What does this story tell us about that? Um, it can be a tricky Thing to live in a city that's surrounded by spiritual and ideological strongholds. Okay, as a Christian, have you ever felt that, um, that tension? Oh, I live in a city that's not um, super pro-Jesus. Anyone ever feel that? Anyone ever go outside? 
Like that, that's a thing, that's a reality. And that's a reality anywhere in the world. And I don't know, I've not been every place in the world, but I've, I've been around. Portland's special. Portland is special. Um, and it can be tricky to live in a world where you can feel those strongholds. Like there are walls in the city. There are towers. There are, um, the New Testament says, spiritual forces of wickedness. There's a collision of kingdoms happening all around us. And as a member of the kingdom of God, as a member of his family, I'm not just a captive who's been set free. I'm a captive that has been invited to join the cause. I get to be a part of this battle. How can we do this? Tearing down walls while recognizing that there are Rahabs living within them. How do you do that? How do you fight the good fight? Tearing down strongholds. Confronting spiritual forces of wickedness. Doing battle in the name of Jesus. Without leaving a heap of Rahabs at the bottom of the rubble. Think about it. Rahab, because she chose to befriend the spies, she actually became um, an instrument in, in the cause. If it wasn't for Rahab, arguably, the spies wouldn't have, they wouldn't have made it outside of the city. She let them out of her window by the rope that she let down. And so she wasn't just a rescue victim. She, in deciding to make that courageous choice to hide the spies and decide with the kingdom of God, she became a part of the cause. And so it's not acceptable, then, that the wall would just simply be torn down and Rahab and her family written off as collateral damage, friendly fire. Not an option. The men gave an oath. Make sure you hang the scarlet cord out your window. That, that, that red symbol. It's an odd, odd symbol, is it not? It makes me think of when God's people were being delivered out of Egypt a generation before. And God said, I want you to take the blood of an unblemished lamb and wipe it above your doorpost. That'll be the sign when I come to set you free. When I come to do justice against your oppressors and set you free, that'll be the sign that you're to be rescued, that you're to be members of my kingdom. And so in a very similar fashion, the spies tell Rahab, make sure you take the symbol, the, the red symbol, and hang it out your window so that we know when we come to protect you. You're part of the, the family now. We're told in Joshua 6, skipping ahead a little bit, when God's people did come and Jericho did fall, that Rahab and her family, they became members of the community. It says that, and Rahab and her family have lived in Israel to this day. This is Joshua chapter 6. So they weren't just set free. They were 
welcomed into the community. They became a part of the family. How do we do battle without seeing the Rahabs buried under the rubble? Are you guys with me? This is a very, very tricky thing to do, particularly um, when we struggle to manage our anxiety well. We can tend to go to extremes. We become ultra paranoid that that all the the crazy liberals and heretics or whatever you want to call, quote unquote, those people, keep them out, build the walls, protect the church. And we get like paranoid, right? And we we think, man, if we're not like constantly armed for battle, the devil's going to win any second now. And we do a lot of damage because our own anxiety takes over. Conversely, we can just go the other way. Be like, you know what, let's not fight. Let's just all get along. Let's just, we'll tell you what, let's take a few pages out of the book. We'll just, we'll remove them. You know, the offensive ones. And we'll just make sure that everyone feels affirmed and welcomed and included or whatever words you like. And we kind of do this. We do this. What if there was another way? What if there was a third way? A way that requires the people of God to radically trust Jesus to lead the way. A way to tear down the strongholds, call evil evil, and not pretend like there aren't demonic ideologies that are opposed to the people of God, while still preserving the life of the Rahabs who said, look at I'm a slave, I'm a prostitute, I've only ever known Jericho. Can I come in the kingdom? Will your God accept me? I have not worked out my sexual ethics yet, but is there grace for me? How do we tear down the wall without burying Rahab and her family under the rubble? Now, if you're, if you're like, okay, great, 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 great. What's the answer? It's not going to be simple. Okay, I don't have a simple answer for you, but I know there's a very real tension. Tearing down strongholds while recognizing that God is calling Rahab's to himself. Oh, that's complicated. Some of you are like, I do not like this. I'm very uncomfortable with this. Yeah, me too, me too, it's hard. It can be tricky. Tearing down the walls while recognizing the Rahabs within them how. I actually do have three, three things for you. Number one, how do we even begin to do this? Number one, surround the city with the presence of God. In Joshua 6, we're told when God finally gives the word, the spies have returned. And they're like, look, they're, they're good to go. Pumps primed, let's, let's take it. And so God tells Joshua, mobilize my people. I want you to march around the city. In fact, I want you to do it six times, six days in a row. And then on the seventh day, I want you to do it seven times in one day. And when you go, take the Ark of the Covenant with you. In other words, don't go without me. As you go, I will go with you. And as you march around the city, my presence will be with you. Don't say a word until I say. On the seventh day, after the seventh lap, 
when the trumpets blast, the priests blow their trumpets, then, then I want you to all shout. But until then, just zip it. Just go and take my presence with you. Um, that's, that's called practicing the presence of God. That means wherever I go, so let's say every day I go to work. I go to work. I go and just like six days a week maybe. Maybe on the seventh day I, I show up seven times in a row. <laughs> However that works. And I'm aware that I'm not just clocking in. I'm taking the presence of God with me because he lives in me. And as I'm going, as the presence of God is going in that place with me, he's preparing to tear down a wall, but in a way that doesn't just end in more carnage. New walls going up. He's tearing down walls and rescuing the Rahabs. Rescuing those who are like, man, you're not only like behind the wall, you're in the wall. You're part of the wall. And God wants to rescue them. We don't do that unless we are a people of prayer who have learned how to practice being in the presence of God. Because where the presence of God is, where the spirit of the Lord goes, that's where freedom happens. Not just more carnage, not just new battles being formed, but captives being set free. Impossible tensions are held when the presence of God is in a place. Secondly, look for the scarlet cords. Rehab was told, make sure you hang the red rope out of your window. Because then we'll know it's you, it's your family. Whoever you've got in that place with you, I imagine it was packed. Her whole family. Look for the scarlet cords. As we go into the city, as we're recognizing, like, oh, man, there's stronghold, stronghold, stronghold. Oh, that's an ancient wall. Man, that gate, who only the Spirit of God could tear down that wall. And, of course, he uses us as we pray, as we go, as we resist the devil, as we proclaim the gospel, as we are God's hands and feet in a broken world, as we go, we look for the scarlet cords. Oh, God is doing something there. Now, but she's a prostitute. Yeah, but God is doing something there. Oh, but she's, she's part of the problem. She's literally in the wall. She's got to come down. No, but God is doing something there. There's a friendship that is formed. Yeah, but her ethics, mm-hmm. Yeah, she's not quite there yet, but God is doing something there. Look for the red cords. Oh, that person who's got this weird, twisted, tragic, painful, dangerous, dare I say, demonic ideology that they've clung to their whole life because she only has ever known Jericho. She's um, open to forming a friendship with the people of God. She was friendly toward the spies. There's a red rope hanging out of her window. Okay, be careful. Before you go in with your bulldozer, uh, i.e. your big mouth, uh, 
be, be sensitive to what God is doing there. Be sensitive. There's a friendship that's formed. Look for the red rope. There are prostitutes in the city who would invite their entire family to Christ if only the church could recognize the scarlet cords hanging from their windows. And number three, invite Rahab to join the mission. Um, We would do well not to merely see ourselves as the rescuers, um, but as partners with Jesus and those whom he is in the process of rescuing. People just like us. This is something we see over and over and over in the story of God. God loves partnering with the least among us. The Rahabs, the one that everyone sees as the quote-unquote problem with our city. Rahab wasn't merely a rescue vision. She had a role to play in God's rescue plan. The prostitute living in the city wall, the stronghold that was about to come down, had a had become a key player in the ultimate outworking of God's battle plan. The woman in the well. So we've been talking about the woman in the wall. What about the woman at the well? I'm talking New Testament now. Remember Jesus and his encounter with the Samaritan woman at the well. Not in the wall, at the well. She was also an immoral woman. She had had five, not four, five, five husbands and she was, the man that she was living with currently wasn't even her husband. And she was the woman that Jesus had an encounter with, who he befriended, you could say, and then sent back to her village. And the entire town came out to meet the one. This woman, this broken woman, this quote-unquote problem, this uh, part of A system of exploitation. Let's put it that way. Not a system of freedom, not God's kingdom, but a broken system. One that simply exploits individuals, who objectifies women, and who uses and uses and uses, and that's the nature of the world system. The bottom line is always gain. But God's kingdom, he looks at the woman who's the product of exploitation and says not only do I want to teach you how to receive love not only do I want to invite you into my family but I want to give you a key part to play I want to invite you on mission I want to I want to ask you to participate I'm going to send you to go and tell others that's the woman at the well the woman at the well while the disciples were off on a mission to get lunch Jesus was recruiting an immoral woman to play a key role in the very first town that would experience revival. Mary Magdalene, the prostitute who had seven demons cast out of her. After Jesus rose from the dead, he chose to reveal himself to her before anyone else. She was arguably the first apostle. Apostle means one who is sent to declare a message. The very first apostle recorded in the New Testament was a prostitute 
who had had seven demons cast out of her. What is it with Jesus and his desire to not only set free, but to include the least among us? If we're not looking for the scarlet cord, we may fail to recognize. We may get back with lunch. Jesus, what's, what's going on? Why are you talking to this woman? We got lunch. Yeah, that's okay. It's okay. You'll get there. You'll get there. I'm, I will teach you how to spot the scarlet cords. Recognize where God is doing things in the most uh, un, unpredictable ways. Some of you um, like this. Like, yeah, yeah that's, that's, I like that. I like that. Some of you, uh, you don't. This makes you very uncomfortable. and makes you wonder, like, well, what are you saying? What are you actually saying? Are you saying we just sort of overlook um, ethics that go against the standard of God? Or, let's talk sex, sexual ethics, right? It's a big one. It's a big one. Man, I prayed a lot about whether or not I should even like go, go here. All right. At some point, someone's got to say something. I reckon I'm, I'm it, right? Um, as a church, we hold to the, um, and I'm going to be very, very intentional the way I word this, we hold to the um, historic Christian view of marriage. Historically, like since the beginning of the church, there's, there's, one, there's been very, very little consensus about anything doctrinal in the church, like since its inception. One of, if perhaps not the only thing that the church has agreed on historically, is the definition of marriage. It's an interesting study, if you've never thought about it. Um, and so you could say in that way, uh, we're a very traditional church. We, we're, we're going with the, what, what the, the church has agreed on for the last 2,000 years. We view marriage as a covenant between male and female. And by the way, when we enjoy our sexuality, the bodies that God has given us, um, and have sex with someone else, that is a joy reserved for the covenant of marriage. So there, I said it. That's, that's where we're at as a church. And I realize that for some of you, you're like, okay, I'm not coming back here next week. But it has to be said at some point. You'll also realize that as a church, oh my goodness, we've worked so, so hard to hold the tension. There are people in our church, in this room right now, that I know you, you would identify as gay. Some people are even living with uh, uh, same-sex partners they've been with for a very long time that they love and are in a, a committed monogamous relationship with. I am in relationship with these friends of mine in our church. And it just, it just, it gives me so much joy to know they don't feel like they can't be a part of our community. It gives me so much joy and hope that, that it is possible as a church 
to somehow like, like live in that tension where it's like, no, there's a wall, there's a stronghold. It's a sexual stronghold. And our city is like keeping that wall up with all of its strength. And then as the church of Christ, we're, we, we are people of the book. And so when we're talking about what, how do we define love and how do ethics form a part of that? Well, okay, it's, it's pretty clear. It's very clear. And maybe I should preach a whole teaching series on it. But it, it just is. It's clear. And believe me, if you've never done the work, if you've never read the books, I've read a mountain of books on this subject specifically. And man, I love talking about it. If you've ever talked with me about it, you know I love talking about it. I'm like, no, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. But I refuse to be the kind of church that tears down walls only to leave Rahab buried in the rubble. We won't be that church. But we're still going to be people of the book. We're still going to submit all things to do with ethics to the lordship of Jesus. And so when Jesus talked about marriage, he defined marriage by going back to Genesis 1 and 2. And I'm just picking on sexual ethics because it's like the big one, right? It's the big elephant in the room. But there's other things, plenty of other things. We look for the scarlet cord hanging from the window. There's this impossible tension that we wade into where we engage with people, Rahab's as it were. I'm not saying if you're gay, you're Rahab. Please, like, do not get twisted. Rahab's that are part of a world, a system, an ethic, a wall that God wants to tear down, but in a way that is full of gentleness and respect. And it's not okay to speak the truth and say, I'm just speaking the truth in love if you're not actually. I hear a lot of people say, oh, I'm just speaking the truth in love. It's not in love just because you can quote the verse, all right? It's only in love if it's in love. And we would do well to keep our mouths closed a lot and pray more. Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm ranting now. I'm ranting. Is this an okay rant? Oh, wait, I'm sorry. I'm preaching. I'm preaching. That's right. That's what I'm doing. You know, Rahab, I'll end here. Can I invite our worship team to come up? Please, that would be Ben and Hillary. Um, Rahab ended up marrying a man named Boaz. No, 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 sorry. She married a man named Salmon, and they ended up having a boy named Boaz. Boaz was like the great, 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 something or other grandfather of Jesus. This is, um, this is what God does. What we might be tempted to point at or a person that we might view is like, man, you, you're, you're so, like you are the wall. You are the wall. Who you are, what you stand for, your ideology, your whole world is the wall. 
And yet she says, is there room for me? Can, can God's grace set me free? And the spy said, oh yeah, oh yeah, you and your whole family, go get everyone you can cram into this place. Just make sure the blood is covering your doorpost and you will be saved. And they invite her into the community. She ends up marrying some Hebrew man. And she becomes a part of the story, like the capital S story. Jesus comes from her body. Isn't our God good? Don't you want to be a part of that mission? That crazy, hard, wonderful, impossible mission that just keeps us on our knees in prayer? Lord, help us. We cannot do this without you. We cannot do this apart from you. And yet with you, nothing's impossible. You are the master of leading us through what, what, would, what would otherwise devolve into a violent mob. You just lead us straight through and begin to touch and heal love and lead people to freedom Lord would you help us would you help us to listen and obey you and to grow in how we trust you Lord whether we are the Rahab wondering if there's not a way out of this wall or we have been rescued and now you're sending us back in to tear down strongholds and to rescue those who would say, is there grace for me in the kingdom of God? Lord, help us. Help us. Can we stand together, please?